Turn your Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to be reading verse 4 this morning. And then also, I'm going to read the first five verses from Genesis chapter 4. But uh, the scripture reading this morning, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. The Bible says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Genesis 4.1 reads, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she, bare, excuse me, and she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Amen. As we have mentioned before, Hebrews chapter 11 is a great faith chapter in Scripture. It's written to encourage, it was written, excuse me, to encourage persecuted Christians to continue in their faith. We said this chapter can be divided into three parts. Verses 1, 2, and 3 deal with the excellence of faith. Verses 4 through 31 deal with the examples of faith. And verses 32 through 40 deal with the epilogue or the conclusion of of faith. And now in our text, the writer introduces the first of a series of illustrations from personal history uh, involving individuals who have trusted God and how God has blessed in their lives. And it's interesting, it can be, these, uh, these individuals can be divided into four groups. You have verses 4 through 7 dealing with the antediluvian or the pre-flood uh, believers, Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And then verses 8 through 22, the pre-Mosaic believers, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And then verses 23 through 29 deal with the Mosaic period, or Moses himself. And then verses 30 through 38, you have the post-Mosaic examples of Rahab and many other heroes of the faith. As we said, these first three verses are introductory in regard to this book, and we've already considered that um, uh, in this series. And uh, we're going to go ahead and look now, beginning today and in weeks to come, at some of these individuals and learn how God used their faith in their lives and how they benefited from it and how we as well may benefit. For example... Abel, we see his communication, Noah, his construction, Abraham, his calling, uh, these believers, their country, Jacob, his consecration, Joseph, his command, Moses, his choices and his courage, and Rahab, her cordiality. But first in this list, we start with Abel. I'd like, before we get going, to point out a glaring omission, if you will. Notice the names of Adam and Eve uh, are not present here. Uh, Adam, the progenitor of the human race. Eve, the mother of all living. And neither are mentioned. We note that Adam and Eve did not have to live by faith. 
They walked in the Garden of Eden and they communed with the Lord face to face. We don't know how exactly that worked out, but we do know, according to the book of Genesis, that they had the opportunity to see the Lord and speak with him. Now, of course, they are banished from the garden and their children are the first to need to exercise faith. Remember, Adam and Eve, even though they're no longer able to speak with God face to face, they had that memory of what it was like. Uh, I don't believe their children did. And here we see now their descendants are to be those who walk by faith. And as we emphasize this year, this matter of living by faith, we will see over and again the need for each of us to do exactly that. But when you consider this list, you notice that Abel is at the beginning of these Old Testament saints. He occupies a very special place in sacred history, for even Jesus himself called him righteous. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 35, the scripture says that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Berechias, whom he slew between the temple and the altar. With reference to Abel's faith, I'd like us to note these five points, if we could. We'll see the piety of his faith, the prudence of his faith, the price of his faith, the persecution of his faith, and the proclamation of his faith. Notice with me, of his faith, excuse me. Notice with me chapter 11, verse 4 of Hebrews. By faith, Abel offered unto God. First of all, we see the piety of his faith. An offering unto God, such as he made, was an act of worship. Faith and worship go hand in hand. God promised a future deliverer, and it seems consistent with the grace of God that from the beginning he would have provided for some means of worship. Some say they have faith, but their lack of worship denies their claim of faith. That wasn't the case with Abel. From this passage, we can conclude several things. First of all, we know they had a place to, uh, to uh, worship. And by the way, uh, we understand that very little is said in Scripture concerning this matter of Abel and his offering. But we're going to go ahead and look at things as best we can with uh, the eye of understanding here and trust that God might help us to... Uh, to see a little bit about the, uh, the forming of this particular event and scenario. But I believe they had a place to worship. You see, they brought offerings to God, both Cain and Abel. So I'm guessing that there was some sort of altar that was used for the making of their sacrifices. This was the case throughout the Old Testament where a specific place was assigned by God where the people of God were bring, would bring their offering to him. And we see for us as New Testament believers, our place of worship is where? It's the local church. Here we are gathered together for the purpose of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. For the scripture says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Throughout the New Testament writings, we see the emphasis that is placed upon the New Testament church, the local church, and the importance it is for us to be faithful in gathering 
gathering together. Acts 2.47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. 11, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first, at Antioch. I realize many folks today believe that they can worship God apart from any sort of, of formal gathering. Folks say, well, I can worship God in my, my home. I can worship God in the golf course. I can worship God out in the fields. And that is true. You certainly can. But you cannot do so and be obedient to the word of God. For God demands that we gather together on the first day of the week for the purpose of corporately worshiping the Lord. We See, Cain and Abel had a place to worship, or at least I believe we did. they did, and we as well have a place that we should worship. By the way, that doesn't negate the responsibility that God gives us to worship the Lord the other six days of the week, wherever we are. We are to worship the Lord daily and honor Him. Uh, Acts 13, 1 says, Now there, uh, there were in a church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, and so on. But again, God did great works through His local church. And I believe that God has commissioned the local church to get the message to all the regions of the world. It's good to have Bible colleges and mission agencies and medical organizations and helps ministries, but I believe God ordained the local church with the task of getting the gospel to the regions beyond. All these other ministries ought to be done through and under the auspices of the local assembly. Well, they had not only a place to worship, but they had a time to worship. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 says, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought forth of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. It seems as though there was a specific time when they would go ahead and worship, when they would bring their offerings to the Lord. It could be that God designated a special time for sacrificing. It could be that they had a particular time that they set aside regularly for the purpose of offering sacrifices. I don't know, but we do know that God is a God of order. And we know that in the later centuries, he did describe definite times and ways of worshiping. The fact that Cain and Abel came and offered a sacrifice at the same time also suggests that God had specified a particular time. And again, as we gather together in the local church, we meet together at the time prescribed by the congregation whereby we would meet together. Jesus said in John chapter 4 verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Love, I believe we miss out when we don't gather together in God's prescribed place and at God's designated time for the purpose of worshiping the Lord. But note also, they had a particular way by which they would worship. Cain and Abel wouldn't know anything about the need for worship or sacrifice unless they had been taught. I believe they were taught by their parents. I believe Adam and Eve 
described to them what it was like to live in the Garden of Eden, described to them what it was like to walk with God, told them about how they had sinned against the Lord and God sacrificed a lamb and to provide clothing or sheep to provide clothing for them. And I believe Cain and Abel and all the rest of the descendants of Adam and Eve learned of these great truths from their father. And from that They deduce there is a right and proper manner in which we are to worship. We notice Abraham's sacrifice to God. And through Moses came the rituals of the Old Testament sacrifices. The heart of the New Covenant, the New Testament, is Jesus' perfect, once for all, death upon Calvary's cross, sacrificing himself for the sin of the world. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's inconceivable that Cain and Abel accidentally came upon or stumbled across this idea of sacrifice and were as a way of worshiping the Lord. And by the way, the fact that God only accepted one sacrifice, not both, is an indication that there is a right way to sacrifice, to worship the Lord. You see, because Abel offered his sacrifice by faith, He must have had some revelation, some understanding from the Lord upon which faith is based. You see, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, we see the piety of his faith, the fact that he offered this sacrifice to the Lord. Notice as well the prudence. Hebrews 11, 4 says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Faith not only worships, but worships God correctly. God is a God of order, and things are to be done decently and in order in his church. You see, there was a difference between the offering of Cain and the offering of Abel. We believe that Cain did not worship correctly because God rejected his offering. We see that Cain did worship correctly, for God received that offering We don't know how God received it. We don't know if God consumed it with fire or whatever. But we do know there was a difference in these two offerings. Let me just mention briefly uh, this idea of of Cain and his offering. First of all, be clear that Cain was no infidel. He was not an irreligious man. He brought an offering to the Lord. He knew that the Lord God was the creator of the world, and he knew he was expected to offer uh, a gift to God in worship for him. But the problem is his offering was inadequate. First, it was a bloodless sacrifice. The Bible tells us without shedding of blood is no remission of sin. That's why Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross of Calvary for the remission of sins. His blood was that sacrifice, that offering which satisfied the wrath of God. Secondly, Cain's offering was merely the fruit of his toil, the product of his labor. Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man that should boast. His offering was that of his own doing and his own toil. God desires that we would come to him in faith. Third, he deliberately ignored the judgment of God upon the earth. 
Genesis 3.17 says, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat it all the days of thy life. And the fourth reason his offering was not accepted by the Lord is he despised the grace made known by God to his parents. Genesis 3.21, unto Adam also and his, and his wife did the Lord, make, Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. Their effort to clothe themselves with aprons of fig leaves was insufficient. Yet God, in his grace and his goodness, provided a covering that would be sufficient. Thus a picture, if you will, of the coming Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. From the very first parents on earth, God laid it down that the sin and guilt of man had to be borne by either man himself or a substitute. The difference between the two offerings then was Abel believed God and approached and worshiped God exactly as God had said through the sacrifice of another, the sacrifice in this case of an, ap- an animal. Cain did not believe God, and he did not accept God's word, and he did not approach through the sacrifice of another. This is the same mistake that many make today. People attempt to appease and approach God through monetary gifts, through earthly possessions, through religious works, through, through righteous living. But the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's nothing we have to offer the Lord of our own work, our own effort, or our own doing. Simply put, Abel believed God. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. All if people would only recognize but that but coming to Christ is a matter of faith in him, accepting his finished work on the cross, and allowing God to make them a new believer in Christ. Well, we note the piety of his faith. We know the, the prudence of his faith, but look with me also at the price of his faith. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Genesis 4 4 tells us he brought the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. You see, faith not only gives, but it gives its best to the Lord. It was of the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof, which God God later claimed as his own, according to Exodus chapter 13 and Leviticus chapter 3, when God said that uh, he wanted uh, of every firstling that cometh of a beast. And then later in in Leviticus 3.16, it says all the fat is the Lord's. The fat was the best part of that, uh, that sacrifice. And here, Abel demonstrates his faith in God by giving the Lord his best and trusting that God would be pleased with it. You know, rather than leftovers, we need to give God first, first. Proverbs twenty three twenty six says, My son, give of thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. God desires that we would give from our heart, having a heart of faith and a heart of worship toward him. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. 
How many times do we find ourselves in a situation? Things get tight financially. We get in a bind and, and we, we say, well, I've got to go ahead and take care of these bills. I've got to take care of this. And we say, well, Lord, I hope there's enough left over for me to go ahead and tithe. Lord, I hope there's enough left over for me to give an offering to you. You know, the Bible teaches that we need to trust the Lord with the first fruits of our substance. If only we as God's people would see the benefit of not only trusting the Lord in regard to our salvation, not only trusting the Lord in regard to our home in heaven, but trusting the Lord on our daily walk in this life, recognizing that he can take care of us far better than we can do on our own. And that means trusting the Lord with everything about our lives, from our health to our strength to our pocketbook and everything in between. You know, once God gets our heart, he should have everything else associated with it. But so many of God's people kind of hold back and they, they restrict the Lord's access to everything in their life. I trust we're not that guilty of that, but that we'll see the Lord at work in our lives in such a way that we trust him with our whole heart. The third stanza of the hymn, Give of Your Best to the Master, reads, Give of your best to the Master, naught else is worthy his love. He gave himself for your ransom, gave up his glory above, laid down his life without murmur, you from sin's ruin to save. Give your heart's adoration, give him the best that you have. All are we willing to trust the Lord with everything that we have. The Bible tells us every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. All God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God was able to take care of us yesterday, he'll do so tomorrow. How we need to trust the Lord in every situation and in every aspect of our being. Know with me also the persecution of Abel's faith. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. We note that according to Genesis chapter 4, Abel died at the hand of Cain. That was the first murder to ever take place upon the planet earth. It was the first act of persecution against a true believer in the Lord God of heaven. Faith is not popular in a world of unbelievers. And we will find that there will be persecution in one form or another toward everyone who trusts God walks with God and seeks to obey the Lord in every aspect of their life. It might be something as small as co-workers mocking us or neighbors jeering at us, or it might be something as great as physical harm, yea, even death. But whatever the case, the scripture says, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Abel, was the forerunner of those who paid a price for doing right. We should never fear doing right for the consequences 
that we might have to endure. 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Well, that nails it down right there, and answers some of the questions that might have, people might have about that passage. Cain's offering, his work, was evil. Evil has always and will always be an enemy of that which is good. Verse 13 goes on to say, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Jesus said in John 15, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And Paul repeated those words in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You see, the blood of Abel says that it does make a difference how people worship. It does matter to God, and it matters to the world. They might not agree with us, but they recognize a clear difference between godly worship that honors the Lord and selfish worship that honors an individual. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Anything short of that is displeasing to the Lord. You know, that goes to our it goes to our conduct. It goes to our attitude toward the Lord and others. Do you know if you have something against me, you can't properly worship the Lord until that matter is made right. A husband and wife, you're not going to get your prayers answered if you're at odds with your spouse. Parents and children, you're not going to be able to walk with the Lord if your heart's not right with one another. Fellow believers in a local congregation, this is one reason that unity in the church is so important because God will withhold his blessings not only from individuals but from an entire congregation because of disunity. It's one of the reasons Paul wrote the book of Philippians. He was writing to try and clear up this dissension and this strife and this bickering and complaining between you, Otis and Syntyche. Beloved, having a right heart attitude before the Lord is so essential to our walk with him that it will prevent us from being able to commune with him. And when we do worship the Lord and honor him correctly, there will be those who don't like it. There will be those who don't agree with it. They will disagree. They will say that's not the way to do it. And they'll tell us about their church and their beliefs and their system, if you will. You know, I've heard so many times from somebody say, well, me and God, we've got, our, our, we've got everything worked out. Well, apparently you don't, because we're supposed to honor God according to his word, not your own philosophy or ideology. The issue here is from the beginning of time, only two ways appear in which God can be worshipped. His way and man's way. One good, the other evil. 
We are either to worship as God has commanded, or people will worship in a manner that supposes to be just and good. Cain's testimony should be sufficient warning that the second choice is wrong. Scripture tells us there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of destruction. Just because you think you're right, just because you think or someone thinks that they've got it all figured out, if their plan is contrary to the word of God, they are not going to worship him accordingly. And when we do worship the Lord, with our heart, if we love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy soul and thy strength and thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself, it's going to make some people uncomfortable and unpleasant. All this nonsense that you hear about on campuses having uh, safe zones where somebody can run to and hide and cower in fear because somebody on campus said something that made them uncomfortable. Understand that this book offends unrighteousness. This book stands against unholiness. And we as God's people ought to be a testimony to that which is good and right. And we will make people uncomfortable. And it may cost us. But so be it. We are to do right. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He said, I've done it. It hasn't gone my way all the time. He said, people have stood against me. They've lied about me. They've beaten me. They've, they've, uh, they've uh, imprisoned me. They've, they've, uh, stu- they've opposed me every step of the way. And he said, I, I did what I was supposed to do. I honored God with my life. Abel is the first person in the history of the world who could stand and say, I did right, no matter the cost. Paul said, I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. You got to go here. The fourth, uh, the fifth thought, again, in verse four, the proclamation of his faith. We've seen the piety, the fact that he worshiped, the prudence, he worshiped God rightly, the price, he brought a great gift to the Lord. The persecution, he faced opposition in the way. And then Abel, lastly, we see here the proclamation of his faith. The end of verse 4 in chapter 11 of Hebrews says, By it he being dead, yet speaketh. Death does not silence the voice of faith. James Moffat wrote, Death is never the last word in the life of a righteous man. When a man leaves this world, he is righteous or unrighteous. He leaves something in the world. He may leave something that will grow and spread like a cancer or a poison. Or he may leave something like the fragrance of perfume or the blossom of a beautiful flower that permeates the atmosphere with blessing. Yes, Abel still speaks. But what does he say? His words bring forth a timeless three-point sermon to the world, which has been preached now for some 6,000 years. His message is this. The just shall live by faith. Point one, man comes to God by faith, not works. His second point, man must accept and obey God's revelation above his own reason or self-will his third point 
Sin is severely punished. Yes, how we run life's race will be remembered by others when we're gone. What will be said of us when we're dead? Oh, there might be some cute little saying or sharp quip etched on our tombstone. But really, what will people say about us when you and I have passed from this life? Perhaps the greatest of modern missionaries was Hudson Taylor, missionary to China and founder of the China Inland Mission. The age of 17, he dedicated his life to the Lord and surrendered to be a missionary with plans of spreading the gospel in China. He immediately began preparing for that work. Uh, he, uh, he studied four languages. He read as many books about China as he could. He learned the basics of medicine, and he associated with other missionaries that he knew of at that time. And in September 1853, Taylor set sail for China on the first of 11 journeys between China and England. That first trip took five months and nearly took his life. But when he arrived, he was eager, eager to begin his work. Uh, but China was facing a difficult time for she was experiencing civil war. As a result, his first visit didn't go so well. He faced criticism. He was poorly received by the Chinese. He lost all of his medical supplies in a fire, and then all the remainder of his possessions were robbed. He had nothing. Yet without missing a step, he continued to reach the Chinese people with the gospel. Throughout his life, he faced many setbacks and disasters. Yet he continually served God faithfully until his death in 1905. Years later, this is what I want you to note, the Chinese communist government wished to strike at the heart of Christianity in their country, so they hired an author to dig into Hudson Taylor's life that, it, that they might find some inconsistency and rewrite or create a new biography about Hudson Taylor. The author, a devout atheist, spent many hours reading about the life and works of Taylor, yet couldn't find any hidden sins or unfaithfulness. Finally recognizing that Hudson Taylor lived everything that he preached, the atheist fell under conviction and professed Christ as his Savior. Historians have stated that since the Apostle Paul, perhaps no other man has greater, had a greater impact on the world than Hudson Taylor. He wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He was a man like any of us. But he lived his life so that even a committed atheist could see Christ through his actions. Someone who said a life lived with no regard for God speaks louder than words. Abel's testimony of one who trusted God lives on. You see, many folks don't realize that the book of Genesis is filled with great men of faith. Abel was said to have faith, saving faith. Enoch had sanctifying faith. Noah, serving faith. Abraham, separating faith. Isaac, steadfast faith. Jacob, suffering faith. Joseph, successful faith. Abel is the first in a line of many to whom we could look and learn much. 1 John 5, 4. The scripture says, Whatsoever is born of God 
overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We are to be people of faith and conquer unbelief. Unbelief says, let's get back where it's safe. Faith says, let's go forward where God is working. Unbelief says, I can't. It's too hard. It doesn't work. Faith says, I can do all things through Christ. Unbelief will say, I wish I had obeyed, trusted, and believed God. Faith says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I close with the words of a poet who wrote, Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. My work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. No other work save thine, no other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. I praise the God of grace. I trust his truth and might. He calls me his. I call him mine. My God, my joy, my light. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. What will be said of the sacrifices we bring to the Lord and offer him.